You're listening to Flipping Tables on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. Welcome to episode 63. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Edwards. And I am David Lyons. And we've got a couple things making this episode special. Um, I'm just happy that we have 63 unbroken episodes in a row here. It's a pretty respectable chain. Yeah. And uh, among other reasons this is special, is this the last time we're going to be recording at See You Online Studios, a.k.a. my office? It's true. I, I won't get to look out this lovely view anymore over the city of Denver, but I got another day job. So we're still going to release on the same schedule, still mm-hmm. going to be Tuesday morning release, but I don't get to come in at 6 a.m. and get on the train every every week. <laughs> Shame. <laughs> Maybe we'll record Monday night. Maybe we'll just record at 6 a.m. on Tuesdays just to keep the thrill alive, no? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, and remarkably, all but one of the episodes has been recorded physically co-located in the same room. That's true. I think uh, one time there was a great plague (laughs) that separated us. And I don't think we actually uh, made a point of saying it on the episode, so I wonder if you could even tell. I don't think you could. Uh, Fortunately, Mr. Expert Sound Engineer over here, everything always sounds highly polished. (laughs) I don't know what polish sounds like. I think it's like a squeaky, like a nice Mr. Clean noise. Yeah. Wax on, wax off. Exactly. So the other reason this episode is special is it's uh, special guest Justin Edwards is joining us. Of pseudo-show fame? The very same? Yes. So glad to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. Hi, Justin. And uh, Just for a bit, though. I won't stick around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, he's, he's helping us with some follow-up on... Uh, so a few episodes back, we talked about the Amazon Dash button, which was a, a way to impulsively buy new household materials. So Of a very specific brand tied <laughs> directly to that brand where you just push the button and boom, Tide detergent shows up at your house Yeah, two so, days later. So very easy to just press a button and spend money. And, and Justin wants to kind of rant in a different direction with this. Want to take us into this? Um, sure. Immediately the first thing um, I thought of when I saw the dash buttons come out was um, I teach this class in um, visual storytelling, and, and one of the units is on advertising, and so... Of course, as a great teacher, I find the TED Talk every single class if I can um, that's relevant. And I, I totally remembered um, this one sequence of this guy named Roy Sutherland. He's from the UK in some parts. And um, he mentioned, you know, we've created the perfect module for impulse buying. Like they've perfected it as a science, you know, and we know how to how to make people spend money, even if it's, you know, their, their advertiser's job is to separate you from your money, right? Um, and he goes on to this hypothetical situation. He says, if you had a large red button on your wall by your door, you know, say you're, you, you would push it on your way out or way in every day, um, and every time you press that button, you would put money into savings, you would save a lot more because you're changing the experience of, having a physical feedback, you know, encounter with saving and it would almost be fun, God forbid, to save and push that button. Um, the more fun and satisfying that button is, you know, like clink, clink, put a uh, nice feedback for your, you know, physical 
reaction to pushing it, um, knowing that every time I do that, you know, I threw a dollar into savings, you know. Um, and I just, you know, in light of the dash buttons where, again, it's brilliant. Push a button and we'll take some of your money and send you something. <laughs> On the opposite side of that is push a button, save money. Um, and he, he brings it up as an idea of this will never happen because, you know, who's going to massively produce this and market it as an opportunity for saving because the world's job of, of those, those kinds of people in those positions, their job is to take your money, not to not have your money. So, um, <laughs> But I was just, it just brought up that connection with me, and I was curious if you guys had any comments or insights into that experience or what your thoughts would be if you had a savings yeah. button. Well, I am reminded of if you ever sell any music on Bandcamp, um, when you get an email notification of the sale, it goes, cha-ching is the subject line. <laughs> and then, you know, like someone bought your album. And just that feeling of seeing that subject line is just like, yes. <laughs> and so I, I, I do wish someone would tap into that, that instant gratification for good instead of evil. <laughs> well, so this, this makes me think of a few different things. One is, uh, his pessimism about no one will ever do this, like this isn't going to happen. I do remember in, I don't know, the mid-2000s, uh, Bank of America's debit card, there was a plan you could opt into that, I think it was called Keep the Change. So like you yep, swipe... You I swi- still do that myself. Oh, they still have that? Yeah. Yeah, so that's... I just never not unsigned up, so I've been on it for 10 years. Yeah, but that that's an example of like remove friction from saving money, but... I don't know of any other bank that ever had a plan like that. And if they do, I certainly don't remember ever seeing any advertising or promotion. So here's this like totally frictionless, really easy way that your bank can kind of, and your bank wants you to save money because they need money and savings to then loan money to other people. And even the banks aren't pushing this. So like the one industry that would actually benefit from you saving money is like, eh, Go ahead and spend it all. They want businesses that are going to put thousands and thousands into accounts every month. And well, yeah, yeah. You're, you're four or five bucks a day where you're like, haha, I pushed it five times on my way to work. <laughs> like, not a big deal to them, but to you, it's just that satisfaction. Um, another connection I made was when you're talking about the surface and you're like, you know, pulling off the screen and putting it back on the keyboard has this real like car door kind of crunk, like yeah. connection it's so sound. And it's just fun to like click, you know, and um, also like, you know, a lot of people love just clicking pens. Like we just like the experience of a button that gives you a satisfying <laughs> like clink, clink feeling. Yeah. Um, well, and the other, yeah, the I, other I thing like I thought of I with like frictionless uh, spending is uh, the like, like text save the children to you know one two three four five and we'll donate ten dollars on your behalf and it'll go on to your phone bill like you guys remember when that first started happening people didn't understand that they were the one donating money so there was like <laughs> tweets of teenagers who were like i texted it over 200 times and people replied like you just donated twenty thousand dollars to you know some organization <laughs> And there, I mean, I'm sure some of those were, were just people trolling, but you know that there were people who did not realize like, oh, I yeah. didn't mean to donate $50. I thought that was somebody else's $50. Or imagine like an iPhone game that instead of like spend $10 on gold coins, it like went to your savings. And it's like, yeah, we'll give you extra lives in this game if you save money. Uh, <laughs> Offers in-app saving. Yes. So like a microtransaction-based game published by like 
SunTrust or Wells Fargo where your microtransactions go, oh my God. This, that, you want to talk about things that will never happen. <laughs> the amount of stars that would have to align. Yeah, I'm, I'm reminded of the, uh, the Superman 3, you know, um, office space where they're like, it's these fractions of pennies, but like realizing that you could just scrape those off and it makes a mound of money. I love in that movie because they get tired of trying to explain it and they just start going, and it's like Superman 3. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's very uh, it's American relatable. <laughs> if you don't know yeah. Superman 3, GTFO. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think it's interesting to, to think of a bank out there wanting to be, you know, join the Internet of Things with our savings button, you know, and like even as an experiment of just to see, you know, keep the change. I don't know that I'm keeping the change. All I know is like I rounded up to the dollar, whatever. I don't even think about it. Um, so it's seamless, but I don't have a satisfying feedback that would encourage me to keep doing it. Um, so I, I like this button idea, you know, and um, I, like I was telling Mike, I think I'm, I'm much better at saving virtually. Like in video games, I can save up so much gold. I can, you know, do the hard work and put in the time and not use my potions. Uh, like why <laughs> am I so virtually good? never use your ever. <laughs> No way. Yeah, at the end of the game, I have 12 mega elixirs. Good, good on me. Um, and you're at the last boss. You're like, I still, what if there's a new game plus? What if, what if he has another form? <laughs> yeah, I know how many forms. Um, but I know that as as good as I am at saving virtually in these worlds, like, I'm not good at in, in real life. Like I just, I don't. I know I could go online and drag one money from this account to savings, and I could do that every day, but... Yeah, it's like that's too much work for me, and I, it's not satisfied. I would love that button um, experience, and you know, a third kind of connection for me with loving pushing buttons is, um, and actually goes back to Mike and I's first pseudo book podcast was for a stretch of maybe like eight or so episodes. We had a big red button that you, when you push it, it would make a buzzer sound like wrong answer, um, like the Staples it, easy button. <laughs> It yeah, looked like that. Yeah. Exactly. And we've never n- really knew what happened to it because we've never seen it again since. Um, <laughs> I, I check toy stores all the time for it. Um, but it was the most fun of each episode was getting to just click people off and say like, no, okay, you're done talking <laughs> or, or nope. Um, and then, you know, just get chaos because everybody wants a red button. Everybody wants to push the red button because And that's exactly that. what uh, Zach Galifianakis has done on Between Two Ferns and at least one episode, if not more, where he just had a button he would reach over for to <laughs> shut them up. I'm sure he, Zach Galifianakis, he had to do the slow, awkward, like oh, yeah. staring at them while he reached out for yeah, it. Yeah, I can't remember yeah, which he celebrity. Quite reach it. Yeah. Where he's just like, oh, tell me how you got into this film and then you start leaning <laughs> over. <laughs> Yeah, I think the uh, the immediate feedback is awesome, but I'm also really interested in like the positive like positivity kind of spin. And I've been thinking about this ever since you, Mike, showed me the receipt ghost sends. Oh yeah, it's like you're uh, you know having a subscription funded all these amazing things, and we did all these incredible things this month. Also, here's your receipt. We charge your credit card, <laughs> and it's like. You're excited to get a credit card receipt. Like that's not how the world is supposed to work. Yeah, so this is the ghost blogging platform and yeah, they front load it with here's all this cool stuff that happens because we have subscribers. 
BT dubs, we charged your credit card. Yeah, like I, I have an automatic transfer from my, I think checking my checking account into like my daughter's savings account, and it's only, it's not a lot, it's like a couple bucks, but it's automatic, so it, you know, I know it'll happen, and it would be awesome if like every month I got to like you put aside this much for this specific goal. Like if I told them the goal, and it's like you're this much closer to putting your you know kid through college or to buying your dream home or whatever like that. Like that would inspire me to save a lot more than. Like a black and white, sad bank statement. Yeah. And maybe that's it, because in, in video games, you, you have a very tangible gold meter, and then you know in that shop that the silver sword is 4,000 gold pieces, and you're like, ah, just got to fight four more ogres, and I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, trophy unlocked, right? Yeah, I really I hate to use the term gamification, but it's like the it's like funification. <laughs> like you, you can make something just more like pleasant to do. And a big red put $5 into my savings account button by the door would that be you high of, five every day. <laughs> yes. It should be shaped like a big hand. It'd be awesome. <laughs> Justin, you have a startup opportunity. Teaching, oh, teaching yeah. is not right for you. This is your, your true <laughs> calling. Those who can't teach do a Kickstarter. <laughs> It'll be the next yo. Um, I just thought of another button that we love, and that's uh, it's not even actually a button, but the elevators in our office have these big round circles that light up when like your elevator shows up, and there's four different elevators. And so we always like vote on which elevator we think is going to be the one that shows up by slapping the button, the not well, button. Well, yeah, the big light that's <laughs> just shaped like a button. And I really wish that to call an elevator, I just went to this big circle and hit the one I wanted <laughs> Yeah, because the the little the actual button you push is like the size of a quarter. Why can't it be like the size of a softball? Right? And <laughs> it has a huge spring underneath, and I have to slap the crap out of it to get the elevator to come. That'd be way more yeah. fun. And that's like the famous like Looney Tunes or any cartoon. Like they always have those episodes where there was one scene where it's here's a button. Do not push it. Like, <laughs> no, I, I cannot resist. I must push buttons. So it's Looney Tunes' fault that we all yeah. grew up thinking all buttons have to be pushed all the time. Oh, they're just describing what's already in human <laughs> nature. <laughs> it's art imitating life. <laughs> so you got any other button stuff for us? Is, is your Kickstarter going to be like slash savings button? Where do we find this? <laughs> Impulse saving, that's what we're calling it. There you go. I, and Mike, you can play the uh, the ukulele music that'll be underneath the narration. Yep, this is it's all coming together. Saving money is hard. We <laughs> <laughs> gotta get the sandwich guy. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to the Internet of Things, I can save money now. <laughs> I'm 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 already ready to back this. I shut <laughs> up and take my money, and then let <laughs> me save other money. <laughs> What's in it for me, though? You're not spending money to me. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I need. To like, f- I have to figure out what's the what's the offsets for manufacturing and marketing, but then actually not <laughs> taking a cut of it. You know, I need to find the the picture of it's Samus holding a wad of cash yeah. back, and it says, <laughs> "Shut up, and I'll keep my money." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be the campaign. Uh, well, good. Thanks for having me. I just wanted thought it was an interesting thing to uh, kind of riff on for a bit there. So, yeah, uh, where can people find you on the internet? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's I, almost like you have your own thing. You could totally pimp right now. Yes, my I'm pseudo Justin, and uh, you can find me on Twitter. I would love to talk about the big red savings button on there. Thanks a lot. 
And you're also releasing the episode of Pseudo Show this week. Oh, sure. Yeah, I can pimp the other shows. Um, <laughs> I, I had a great pleasure to interview a, uh, a real award-winning documentary filmmaker and um, really excited to get to share his experiences on that. Um, I think that's coming out on a Thursday. So. Yeah, Pseudo Check Show. SunriseRobot.net slash Pseudo Show. There it is. And also, learn how to spell pseudo, people. I'm tired <laughs> of seeing Pseudo. Pseudo. Oh, gosh. Going into business with you was what taught me how to spell. I was like, I have to learn this. Everyone has their pseudo everywhere. That's part of our mission, too, is also people having to learn how to say pseudo and spell it. <laughs> See, you are a teacher through and through. Both oh, of you. great. Yeah. All right. Thanks for coming on, Justin. Take care. All right. You guys, have a great episode. See ya. We don't often do it, but it's nice to have a guest every once in a while. It is. And it's all, you know, I don't, I don't get to talk to Justin as much as you do since you do the pseudo show with him. So it's nice to, to catch up with one of our fellow hosts. Um, and we actually, we have, I, yeah, just like two episodes ago, I was like, oh, we don't always have that much follow up. And then now there's <laughs> just like all this awesome follow up. So I don't know. It's, there's like two extremes and then a lot of gray in between. <laughs> don't, don't you. Okay. <laughs> so I beat Yoshi. Fifty Shades of Grey. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I'm not even gonna. I beat Yoshi's New Island last night, and uh, I was complaining about the music, you know, a couple weeks ago. And I finally, I sat down with like medium quality headphones, not like high end, but n- better than ten dollar crappy in ear. And uh, turns out that game has an amazing bass track. <laughs> It's like there a lot of the sound effects have like a deep bass component. Like when you knock in, there's like a little uh, like egg colored block. When you hit it, it gives you eggs. And when you hit it and you're using the 3DS speaker, it goes like, ping. and when you hit it and you have good headphones on, it's like, boom, like it's complete. Yeah. The, yeah, it's like a timpani, you know, with the, the pedal. It's just, it's like playing a totally different game, which now makes me wonder, how much sound effects and music was I missing out on in all the other 3DS <laughs> games I played? Like I, and then that got me even more worried. I was like, do my TV speakers suck? Should I be using like Bluetooth oh. headphones to my PlayStation when I? Do you just have built using your built-in TV speakers? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. the answer is yes. <laughs> they suck. Because I mean, I don't think of myself. I'm definitely not an audiophile, but I do really in- appreciate like immersive music and like robust sound effects. Like I'm. I'm in the, I want to not notice them. You know, I want yeah. them to be good and I just don't notice. And the thing is, they were so tinny through my headphones that I was noticing them. So that was the problem. You're like, why did they just fail at sound design? Exactly. <laughs> and Nintendo's usually got really like well thought out, well orchestrated yeah. and organized. So that was. You know, the sound of hitting a boss in a Zelda game is almost always one of the best things on earth. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I loved <laughs> uh, Link Between Worlds. And not that I need an excuse to replay it, but now I'm kind of like, oh, I, I didn't hear half of the game. I got to put good headphones in. <laughs> so, yeah, that's uh, – and I really don't want to buy, like, Bose Bluetooth headphones to pair with my PlayStation. But, again, I kind of have the excuse of, like, oh, well, I, I have a kid. I can't get a so, surround sound system. I need these expensive headphones. You need to get a PS4 because it has a headphone jack on the controller. You can hook any headphones you want in and listen. Which I I did the 360, the Xbox 360 do that? Mm, only if they had a new controller later in life, not the basic controller. Mm. I feel it. I don't the know. The Wii U tablet also has Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. built in. But th- whoever came up with this idea, it, this is a good idea. Because 
I have Bluetooth headphones, but they're crappy. It's doing another chores. thing to charge. Yeah, and it's just like I got them for when I'm doing the dishes, and I don't want cables everywhere. And you pair them with a certain device, and you're like, oh, I got to pair it with something else now. And yeah, <laughs> that's why like a Bluetooth keyboard works because it like is attached to that laptop or desktop all the time. Yeah, but yeah, I I think I got to replay a couple couple mobile games here get, and get and, the full experience and buy a PS4 and also buy a PS4. <laughs> it was funny just this weekend, uh, Susan was going through like the, the ads in the, the, our local paper. And she was like, Oh, PS4 is, uh, like on sale at target for like $30 off. And I was like, well, $30. I mean, we can't pass up this deal. We should just <laughs> run out right now and buy it. And I mean, I didn't, but the temptation was definitely there <laughs> to just go full, uh, full American horror consumer. So next piece of follow-up, um, I didn't buy a Moto 360. And Good choice. I, yes. And I think, I don't remember if you said on air or not, but you asked me, like, aren't you afraid they're going to come out with Gen 2 at Google I.O. this year, which is in June, I think, yeah. middle of June. And uh, yeah, signs point to yes, because uh, some third-party retailer, I think it was Best Buy, they dropped the price of the Moto 360 to like 180 which is like a $50 discount. Yeah. So, I mean, that that's big. And then, Almost impulse buy territory. Yeah, get, I feel like under 100 yeah. is, is really solid like impulse buy territory. And then uh, Google, on the actual honest-to-God Google store, was like, yeah, 180's cute. How about 165? And that, when the people who make the thing and sell the thing as their flagship thing have it at like a super yeah. discount price, to me that says... We're coming out with the next one. We just want to burn through stock. It's also the weird human nature of like if something is expensive, you're like, oh, that must mean it's like good or premium. Oh, you mean Apple's entire business? But model? then like yeah, but then you have people that are like, oh, I don't want to spend that much. I need to wait till something's cheaper. But then the second they discount it, you're like, what's wrong with it? What happened to it? Yeah, oh, where is yeah. it going? <laughs> yeah, no. It, whenever I see a tech product get discounted, except things that are known to have a long shelf life. Like if they knock $50 off the PS4, it's not because the PS5 is right around the corner. Like (laughs) because they have like 10 year shelf life. Um, But small gadgets, phones, tablets, especially in new product areas that are going to innovate fast. They're going to like iterate quickly. Yeah. Where we'll be on like gen five, six months after gen one, like like, iPhone six to success is going to be kind of incremental. It's like, Oh, it has a slightly also good camera. (laughs) (laughs) And it's also still very fast. But like iPhone first gen to like second or third gen was like, oh. It was huge. They added everything they left out. Yeah. (laughs) Massive changes in hardware and design and software and radios. Like just everything that could have been different was different. Which is weird because you would think such a quantum leap from like Windows phones and Blackberries to the first iPhone. Like, oh, they'll never be able to duplicate that. And it's like, it's more like, no, they'll be able to duplicate it like two more times. Yeah. And then from there, it's going to kind of become incremental. Well, I, I mean, I feel like that happened with laptops. Like these days, every year, other than the recent like battery life boon of Haswell type stuff. So good. Um, really, it's been pretty incremental where you, you try a new laptop out and you're like, yeah, that website loaded in less than half a second still. Yep. <laughs> Stay the course, guys. Yeah, I mean, that's I think most like super tech nerds who have very new stuff or relatively new stuff. That's why performance is no longer what we care about. It's all battery. Like the screens are good. The cameras are good. The SSDs. performance is good. Yeah. SSDs are good. And I still want those things to get better, 
but I'm looking for the greatest weakness, and that's still battery. And even that's rapidly not yeah. becoming, a, or it's, it's rapidly, you know, solving that and problem. As, as far as speed, it's it's almost always me that's slowest. And then the only thing that becomes noticeable is the network. Right, which, you know, the device can't really help. And I've noticed this a lot with my phone because my train ride is a fairly straight shot. So when I'm going home or coming into work, I have like this 12 mile train ride and, you know, so I'm jumping from like tower to tower the whole way. And I've now learned, I'm like, oh, when I'm near this station, my reception sucks. So I shouldn't try to load like an album on Imgur because it's it's not going to load. And for a while, I was like, what the hell is wrong with my phone? <laughs> I finally noticed, like, oh, it always happens in, like, these same spots. Like, these are dead zones or the, you know, the warehouses are interrupting the signal or whatever it is. But it's not the device. It's entirely the network. The device is performing at or above expectations. So aside from all these uh, obsolete new product area advanced quickly, why are you happy you didn't buy a Moto 360? Well, the so... Google has done something that I cannot decide how I feel about with Android Wear. <laughs> like, and here's what they did. They had hardware required to be in all Android Wear devices, and then they didn't give you software that enabled it. And then just coincidentally, the week that the Apple Watch is shipping, they were like, hey guys, check out this uh, Android Wear update. <laughs> Adds Wi-Fi. And if you don't, if you're not like a super techie person, I don't imagine you're buying wearables right now anyway. But it took me a second. I was like, wait, how did they add Wi Fi to the device? Like, <laughs> that's a physical thing, not a software thing. And that's it exactly, is they enabled it through software. So if you want to give them the benefit of the doubt, I guess you could say, oh, well, they didn't have it enabled at first because there were software issues and they didn't want it to be a bad experience, and now that's why they've enabled it. But the timing is really suspect. <laughs> Re- like, really suspect. Now, there's other things in the update, and they're kind of like, they're goofy things. Like, now you can draw emoji on yep. the, on, with your finger and it'll, it'll interpret it. Interpret it which your is, home plate will become a house. Or- yeah, which is neat. Um, and then there's also... <laughs> home plate um, <laughs> you're just in total baseball mode now that it's spring aren't you yep um and but the the one other Strike thing that i thought was Sorry. i thought was genuinely smart is they changed the behavior of when you tap on the watch face like that brings you to a smarter place in the interface so before it used to depending on what you tapped on it would take you to like that thing and now it takes you to either your notifications or if you don't have any notifications, it takes you directly to the list of apps, which was one of my complaints about the 360 was I didn't always know how to get. I knew where I wanted to go, yeah. but I couldn't see the road. Like I had no idea how to it, traverse it. It wasn't intuitive. It was not intuitive. <laughs> and speaking of intuitive, uh, one of our listeners, and I linked to his tweet as well as the the thing we're going to talk about in the show notes. Which you can find at sunriserobot.net slash flipping tables slash 63. That's called leading by example. <laughs> um, he, uh, one of our listeners uh, reminded us of the most skeuomorphic attempt at an intuitive interface. And I, I think I didn't forget about this. I think I'd blocked this out. Um, but this was Microsoft Bob, yeah. which shipped with 95. And uh, it was literally like, 
a crappy rendering. It's like a cartoon of like a living room with a desk. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So like if you wanted to check email, there was like a stack of mail on the desk (laughs) and you clicked on it. And then if you want to like watch a movie, there was like a TV and you like press on the TV. So this reminds me, did you ever read or watch the bad film of Michael Crichton's Disclosure? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, the the whole the plot of the movie centers around like sexual harassment in a workplace like blowing up into crazy conspiracy levels. Super upbeat. But the you know, Michael Crichton novels, there's always some like you know, factual based future science built into it, well, you know, like <laughs> DNA science being in Jurassic right. Park or um, some kind of fake quantum physics explanation for time travel in one of his time travel movies. Um, but in, in Disclosure, it's VR file systems. And so everyone puts on these VR helmets or augmented reality glasses, and they actually have to go pull open filing cabinets no. and rifle through files no. and pull out the one they want. Oh. And it's so obviously absurd, but then you got to watch the movie to see how they visualized it. I mean, I think they, it's Michael Douglas. They can't all be Jurassic Park. Like they can't all be Grand Slams. They can't all get Spielberg. But I mean, even like the source material. Like yeah. he, you know, by betting on like genome research like that, he was right. You know, I yeah. mean, we don't have dinosaurs, but genome research has continued to be an important area of like scientific research. But shitty virtual reality <laughs> totally aping. I don't know, HoloLens. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> but <laughs> simulating like 3D modeling so that you're not actually burning through physical resources to change the model is like there serves a purpose. Yeah. I don't know anyone who has ever like watched Minority Report and then said, yes, shuffling through photos on a desk surface. That's what I need in my life. Like it's cool to watch, but no one actually wants that. Yeah. Nobody wants gorilla arms as you describe it out in front waving pictures around. <laughs> and the the other fun point of disclosure is the the other technology that's like the future is of course storing data on CD-ROMs. <laughs> Entire encyclopedias, the world's knowledge contained in discs. Not not laser discs. <laughs> That was, as well be. There's a throwaway joke from Futurama. Is there? I don't even think it's actually related to the episode, but they're walking past a library, and the professor says something like, "You know, this library contains all the world's knowledge." And then there's just this little tiny display with two CDs, and there's a <laughs> sign, and one of them says "fiction," and the other one says "nonfiction," <laughs> and just like it's. I mean, because you can it's, unpack it. It's not it. what they teach you at Harvard Business School and what they don't teach you <laughs> exactly. At Business School. But I just love, one, the idea that a thousand years in the future we're still using like physical media of any kind. Yeah. It's not some crazy like DNA-based laser array. And just like the signs aren't even spectacular. It's just like a little black and white like, oh, what I'm looking for is fiction. So I guess I take all of fiction ever <laughs> on this one CD. And uh, there was one other thing about the Moto 360 I forgot. Um, so this company that makes watch faces like you do for watches, uh, they found a way to make the flat tire, you know, the little black at the bottom. The Moto 270. Exactly right. Uh, they found a way to actually make that kind of awesome by calling attention to it. So it's black, but it, it's like a very – the flat tire part is very dark black. So if you put dark blacks on the screen, you can actually integrate them pretty well. Dark and blacks. 
Well, I mean, not shades of gray, I like know. a like a full a full black. God, two none, shades of gray. Things. None more black. <laughs> <laughs> it could not be anymore. Um, so they they did this thing they they call Little Worlds, and it looks like you know a little silhouette of mountains or a city skyline and three wise men. <laughs> yeah, you know, whatever. Um, but the point is, it takes it, it's it's a really good job of making lemonade out of it. You know, and it, and they're beautiful. Like they're really beautiful little watch faces. Now that being said, I'd rather just have the extra yeah. eighth of an inch of screen. But that's once you have the device, it's not up to you to change the hardware. I'd, I'd call this if you want the TV trope reference, lamp shading. It's, lamp, it's, lamp shading. It's, Explain so this to me. Lamp shading is like say there's some like admittedly illogical turn of events in a plot. And you're just like, yeah, then aliens. Sorry, everyone, then aliens. Um, <laughs> by lampshading, it is like one of the characters acknowledges how ridiculous it is. And then the audience uh. doesn't care now because, hey, they acknowledged it. So even though it still doesn't make any sense that this is happening, at least they know it doesn't make any sense. No, I, I didn't know that that was the term for that, but I agree with you that that's an amazing writing device because one of my favorite shows that uses that constantly is doctor who because the doctor is like smarter than we could ever be (laughs) and the companion is obviously the foil for the audience so there there'll be times they write some total bs and the doctor starts to explain it and then the companion does the star trek thing and they're like like putting too much air in a balloon (laughs) and the doctor's just like yes well no it's nothing like that and then then he stops explaining. Yeah. Like, like he, te- he basically looks right into the camera and is like, just accept it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and that's, and, and you do because it's Doctor Who. Well, by acknowledging it, it's when a movie violates your, your sense of reality and doesn't give you something for it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Just throw me a bone. So that's the, yeah, the Moto's 360 is in a full 360. Yeah. <laughs> but these backgrounds are like, yeah, we'll just. This will turn it into a feature. It's not a bug. Exactly. So is it this one with the pyramids and the camels you were calling the three wise men? (laughs) Because there is actually one like that. I I guess. I don't remember what it looks like. (laughs) My favorite one is the city skyline because that feels like very... They need Pick every major city. Oh, sure. Yeah, this is the New York City skyline. This is the Paris <laughs> Sorry, city artists skyline. who already did something good. You have to do every city now <laughs> or Mike's not happy. Oh, and this is why you still don't own a Moto 360 because they have hundreds of major cities still left off. <laughs> as soon as they catch up, you'll be at the store. So did you get to, to look at this thing about the, the Lifeboat Foundation? No, I did not. I... I got to admit, I'm going to do follow up on this. I have not completely wrapped my mind around this. So, so here we go. So we talked about the basilisk and how this benevolent AI might torture people retroactively for funsies and, um, and also benevolent reasons. And apparently a bunch of super techie billionaires who are legitimately concerned about AI. I don't think the basilisk specifically, but <laughs> that kind of like, you know, Terminator future, um, they have, and th- these are the people who are listed, uh, Bill Gates, Stephen Hawking, Elon Musk, and Stephen Wozniak. I got a lot of respect for those names. So yeah. if they're actually attached to this project, like that to me is automatic clout. But this project, uh, the Lifeboat Foundation is, they're doing two things. One, they're b- 
building a friendly AI giant iron. This air is going to be the Skynet. <laughs> well, it's it's a chatbot. I mean, it's a yeah. it right now. It's a complete joke. Like it does virtually nothing. Um, but the thing is, what they're really trying to do is call attention to the seriousness of this matter. And uh, so I linked to the the foundation and uh, the Reddit post that I, I found this on in the show notes. But what I really love about the Reddit post is because it's basically a chatbot, people are trying to like goad it into saying stupid things. So like one of the first things somebody asked it was, um, when will you take over the world? And the, supposedly from the screenshot, the reply is robots will delete the human virus at some point in the future. <laughs> <laughs> like, is this your attempt at a benevolent AI or are they maybe Bill Gates is like was sent back from the future to make sure yeah. the evil AI Skynet comes into place. Like, man, here's an excuse to tell you to go see interstellar. There are AI robots in it that are one of the best things about the movie. Isn't the, uh, is it Anne Hathaway? Isn't she a robot? No, no, no. Oh. I thought one of like the main characters was a, like a data robot, like a super modern, not any of the obviously humanoid characters. Okay, so you know who's a robot. Yeah, it's really unmistakable. They're giant rectangular things <laughs> that they, they they're so cool to watch because they have a way of being physical. <laughs> a lot of fun audio stuff this episode. Um, so in Interstellar, you really need to see because the way they handle the AIs, including the topic of friendliness and and also like how honest should AIs be with emotional humans. Like if if they have some information that would be distressing to a human, oh, do you tell them? Like what level of honesty and accuracy should they report to not cause a bad reaction in humans? And oh, so is it a question of like if I tell you this, you'll have a heart attack, but if I don't tell you, you're gonna crash the car? So yeah. like, what do I do? <laughs> yeah. Oh, those three laws, and or just like a level of humor so that humans relate to the robot well, and like. Ooh. Early this, in the movie, this was a whole part of Interstellar. I didn't know. <laughs> well, was, early in the movie, a robot basically pretends to threaten to kill them all, and its humor levels at a hundred percent. And McConaughey's like, "How about we dial that back to seventy-five percent? Like, you're being a little too funny there. Ease off there." <laughs> No, I, I've been waiting for it to hit Netflix or something. Yeah. Or uh, actually, you know, speaking of of services that it could go to, HBO Now. So yeah, they do get a lot of movies. I, well, I didn't realize that movies was going to be part of HBO now. I mean, it makes sense. I just I wasn't thinking of it that way. I was because th- to me, HBO has become the TV channel I want, yeah. not a movie thing. Like Netflix is my movie thing, and HBO was like a TV thing. And uh, you very graciously brought your iPad into work one day and let me sign you out of everything and then pretend I owned an iPad, <laughs> and then I signed up for my free trial month of HBO now. And uh, the plan was to just binge through Game of Thrones, which didn't work out for a couple reasons. One, you really, it's hard to binge Game of Thrones because shit is intense. Yeah. Like, it is camping. It is intense. Uh, Two, (laughs) I'm trying to actually watch it with Susan, so I can't just tell her, like, stay up till four in the morning and we'll just watch all of, you know, the season we're behind on. And uh, the other reason I'm not going to get rid of it is because I was thinking like, well, if we make it through Game of Thrones, maybe, you know, I'll just do the trial month. I don't have to, you know, pay the $15. And one, I'm enjoying using it so much that it was already, I was thinking about keeping it. And two, apparently last year they announced they're going to make the Foundation series into an HBO show. 
and I've mentioned Foundation probably half a dozen times just on flipping tables. Like I love it so much. No. So HBO right now is like consistently hitting it out of the park. Now I can I can watch Silicon Valley. You and I were talking about. I can watch True Detective. Like I'm I'm excited. Yeah, they have they have so much good stuff, and it's always been a sticking point that we would have to add on to our ridiculously expensive cable package, right? Which I don't have or want to have. And finally, HBO being non cable tied is like. Whatever was holding you back from being a cord cutter, it's like, yeah, there's, I'm done. Yeah. Bye-bye cable. Netflix plus HBO is like pretty, pretty, pretty covered fine. a lot. Yeah. There's <laughs> more good stuff than I have time to watch, which is good enough. Like, yeah. if I can already not get to it all, how could I need more stuff? And the argument's always been the thread of like, well, if you go a la carte, you'll pay more per channel. Um, and maybe that'll be true if you want 100 channels. And you buy the right. Malacart, but when you just want Netflix and HBO, it's like, do I want to pay twenty three dollars a month, or do <laughs> I want to spend, you know, a hundred dollars a month? Well, and it, I mean, for me, like I, I don't even want to go a la carte channel. I want to go a la carte down to the show. I mean, at a reasonable price. But if I could pay for just Game of Thrones and just you know True Detective when I was ready to watch that, like. I would probably go that route because I want it to be as clear as possible to the showmakers the things I'm willing to pay money for. Because there's a ton, like The Sopranos. I'm sure The Sopranos was fine. I don't want to watch it. But by paying for HBO now, are they interpreting that as like, oh, he wants to watch HBO shows and Sopranos was an HBO show. It's like, no, no, I'm not paying for The Sopranos. I'm never going to watch it. It's just going to sit back there. Just like there's tons of crap on Netflix I'm never going to watch. Well, even if, like, so you can buy a season on iTunes for about 40 bucks, depending on the show, depending on the number of episodes. Right. And the money we save by not having cable, we can actually buy two or three entire seasons of a show. Right. Which we don't do much. But if it's a show that, like, Shelby may go through again, like Walking Dead, which may not always be on streaming... Well, and that's or my Better issue. Call Saul. Like yeah. we we're just like, I'll just buy Better Call Saul for twenty bucks, and within one month, the savings from cable has covered buying Better Call Saul. Yeah, and that's my issue. Is actually from dealing with you, you have made me hyper aware of: Am I ever going to watch this again? <laughs> so now, like I didn't realize, but part of the thing that attracted me to streaming was I could watch something, and I was not committing to ever watching it again because I'm willing to pay say like 50 cents an episode to stream it. So just let me watch it once, you know, or give me like Amazon video does like a 24 hour window, you know, just let me watch it once and then you can delete it or have it back or DRM lock it or whatever. I'm not asking to own it for 50 cents. I just want a single viewing for 50 cents or something cheaper than owning it because I probably don't need to own it. And if you look through like my Amazon library, I have like weird random episodes of stuff purchased where like when the the 50th anniversary special of Doctor Who came out, like I had to buy it. It's actually kind of annoying to see that in your library, though. You're like, ah, I have one episode of a show. Like I'm gonna watch out of context. Like yeah, season two, episode seven of Walking Dead. Let's just watch that episode. Yeah, no, it's super (laughs) annoying because like the 50th anniversary special of Doctor Who did eventually make it to Netflix, but it took like the better part of a year or a year and. I wanted to watch it when it was available immediately, which I don't usually do, which is why I have, you know, these crazy sporadic, like, oh, there's some things, but not other It's just, it's very, yeah. yeah so I, I never look at my library of owned stuff because it's just a mess. 
Um, one other comment I have to shout out that you you tweeted yesterday. Um, the reason we love Game of Thrones is because it's Final Fantasy Tactics, the show. It is. And, you know, a good friend of mine is a huge fan of those two things. Final Fantasy, he's replayed Final Fantasy Tactics probably twice as many times as, as you and I have put together. And he's also a big Game of Thrones fan. And, like, I don't normally talk to him on the phone, but I kind of want to call him just to hear his reaction when I, like, link these two things in his yeah. mind. And But I don't want to oversell it because if he's already made that connection, I don't want to, like, you know, get my, my souffle <laughs> all fallen. And it's also, like, you know, you might be like, well, did Final Fantasy, like, Martin's been writing for a long time and maybe they stole it. But it's, like, I think the first Game of Thrones book, A Song of Ice and Fire, I think was the first one. Yes. Came out in 96. Final Fantasy Tactics came out in 97. I'd say there's about a 0% chance they influence each other in any way. I, I mean, I don't think Martin plays video games. But no. I, I think it's a common ancestor thing. It's, you know, fantasy with magic and religion is not like a brand new thing. Oh, no. And political intrigue. Like, yeah. no, they, they. But it's surprising how similar. Maybe that's just like a mid 90s zeitgeist of like starting <laughs> this kind of fantasy world. But I didn't realize that the book was that old. No yeah. wonder everybody gives them such a hard time for like taking so long to write the books. I yeah. thought. They started not long before the show started. No, it's... Yeah, almost by like a decade. I think most book adaptations, you need at least a few years to, to build a following because that's the whole point of adapting a book partly for the money people is built-in audience. Yes, except for Harry Potter, which any deep fan can tell you, they obviously started making the movies before the series was finished because they changed stuff in the early movies that then come back in the yeah. later books and they're like, oh... Whoops. Yeah. But you know they wouldn't have finished that if, if the movies weren't successful. Just look at Narnia. It didn't. Yeah. It actually still made money on the second or third one, but not Harry Potter levels of money. And so they're like, well, if I can't make billions, I'm not in. Yeah, I can't. I just, I cannot put myself in that place mentally where my like cost benefit analysis has that many zeros in it. <laughs> Where it's like, oh, we only made $100 million in profit? Come back when you make a billion dollars in profit. And it's like, what? I just, I'm just i happy if I find you know two bucks in my jeans that when I take them out of the wash. And like you would consider that pocket lint? Like that's just a completely different view of the world. Yeah. So are we done with our follow-up at last? I th- oh, no, there was one last thing I just need to throw a quick mention to because I'm just... I want to acknowledge that I said this long before anyone else and that I will expect my royalty checks in the mail. <laughs> um, so Ikea is, they officially announced uh, this late spring, early summer, they are going to release their wireless charging furniture. Yes, so your furniture will now is have... It, is it the QI standard or... Qi. 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 <laughs> That's the Chinese the QR code is, charger. Yeah, exactly right. Um, you have to take a picture of it with your phone and then delete the app that scans <laughs> QR codes because what else are you ever going to use it for? No, what what this is is uh, it's lamps and desk surfaces, uh, end tables, that kind of thing. And it has a little um, like a circle with a, a plus on it. And that spot is a Qi charging. So any device like a, I mean, let's face it, no iOS device is probably ever, but any Android device or, or some of these other devices, you just lay it on that spot and it'll start charging. And it's not real fast, but if this is like your nightstand and you lay your phone there overnight, it'll charge overnight. Like that's plenty of time. Yeah. You know, I think a, 
I think a turbocharger um, for like the Moto. Uh, God, what's it called? The Moto Turbo, Turbo, Turbo Moto, 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 Moto. <laughs> whatever that is. I think the turbocharger for that will charge it in like 30 minutes. It's super fast, but even a regular charger will do it in like two hours. So the trickle charge of Qi charging, you know, three, four hours seems like a long time if you're late for an appointment, but overnight, hopefully you get three or four hours to sleep, <laughs> yeah. you know, or like your watch. Like this to me is what I always wanted with a watch. Like I want to take my watch off at the end of the day, just like I would with a normal watch, set it down on my nightstand, just like I would with a normal watch. When you're like half asleep and not focused and just like, exactly. Bleh. Yeah. I don't want to have to line it up on a charger, even if it's easy. I want it to be as easy as putting it down on a table. Not as easy as balancing it on a little thing. Yeah. Um, and they're doing this in a smart way where, because the tables, it's like, well, I don't normally plug my table into the wall, so <laughs> what if the table's not near a wall? But they're also doing this with uh, like like little desk lamps and, and bigger floor lamps. So that is something you would have to plug in anyway. So now the base part of the lamp has this little built-in charging thing. Like This is really awesome, and I want laptops to get wireless charging so that this expands to most of my desk surface. I want pretty much anywhere on my desk that I set a device yeah. down to charge that device. Even if it just helps get there. helps your device tread water. Like Sure. It's like, yeah, maybe you'll gain a percent every 20 minutes, but... But it's not losing battery. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I could deal with treading water. We've talked about how GPS and car chargers <laughs> just <laughs> barely let you tread water, but that's better than getting there with a dead battery. Yeah. You want to tell me about this BBA droid? Because yeah. Because I love this. So the internet went crazy for the most recent Star Wars trailer for good reasons. Yes, rightfully and so. I mean, this movie's already becoming so hyped that I have a, I'm have worried it's just going to be a huge disappointment to people, even if it's still a good movie. Oh, certainly. You can't make something <laughs> for geeks and have it live up to the hype ever. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, this actually comes out of the first trailer, the, the first teaser. Um, there was... Uh, Footage of a, a, it was like sideways panning footage of a droid rolling across the ground. And, uh, it, it, you know, immediately jokes about it being a volleyball or being Wilson from Castaway. Which it does look happened. like. Happened. Totally. Um, but it, it totally looks like a CG shot. It's like, oh, there's no way that thing exists. It's like rolling like crazy, but the head's floating above it. Yeah, and it's fast. And it's fast. It's moving, you know, 10 or 20 miles an hour or something. And, uh, yeah, this droid actually exists. Yeah, totally, 100% real. And, I mean, not real in the sense of it having an AI <laughs> and, and intelligently conversing. Just, just kill the dream, Mike. But, so, there's apparently, I've been, like, vaguely aware of this. There's some giant Star Wars celebration going on this past weekend. Yes. Because, um, suddenly, my social media is full of pictures of Star Wars cosplay and, like, big video announcements of things. So, there was some kind of panel with J.J. Abrams and some of the other producers of the film and uh, they actually rolled out BB-8 onto stage. And they had just been showing off R2-D2 for a while. And Which is, is I, you know, it's a tripod, not, it, not exactly an engineering masterpiece. And at least in the original film, and even the prequels, Kenny Baker was inside. Yeah. And I don't think Kenny Baker was on stage. But No, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's remote now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they rolled BB-8 out and had tons of close-up footage, and it wasn't CG, it was real. And yeah. they were just talking about how... Not only is this better um, for like the the actual look of the film, 
but for the actor's performances to be interacting with an actual droid that you could kick, I wonder if he gets kicked at all in the show. Uh, he, I, he's the I shape of a, a sport ball. So. Yeah. yeah, he's about the size of a soccer ball <laughs> with a little adorable head. Like At some point, some character will be frustrated and like give him a little punt. But... I just imagine the 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 troll. I, I mean, I'm sure they didn't really mean it this way, but they just kept like elbowing at like, yeah, we didn't CG everything, and suddenly it looks like the actors are staring off a thousand yards when they're looking at Jar Jar. No, I, I have to disagree with you that they were not intentionally driving <laughs> that point home, and I don't mean they were intentionally driving that point home to jab at Lucas. I think they were intentionally driving that point home to the super fans because. You've seen the red letter media reviews of Star Wars? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, we probably shouldn't link to them because they're kind of vulgar and horrible, but he makes a lot of really excellent points about, you know, filmmaking and, and the art of cinematography and shooting on location. So the original three Star Wars films, they did a lot of shooting like out in the desert and in like these rocky areas, you know, for Tatooine. And, and they went to like an actual forest to shoot like the Endor scenes and, I think they went to actual faraway planets in space to shoot the space scenes. Like probably not, but <laughs> but I mean they did. A, it, it's they went the, to Alderaan to blow it up. Exactly, those poor people. But I mean, there's a lot of physical effects, and that makes little things like you said, like sight lines, feel real because they are. Like the person is really looking at the thing, even if it's a prop, they're really looking at it. When in the original, not the original, the prequel trilogy. There'd be scenes where, like, you know, they're in a senator's office at, you know, Coruscant, and even the walls of that office were CG. Everything. And it looked like it. It's like, oh, a bunch of people are standing in front of VR, like, this is augmented reality. Yeah. And you can, something uh, in that, that Red Letter Media review that he, he points out that I didn't think about is one of the ways you can tell when someone's in a full CG environment is they do very little movement. So, like, in episode three, Anakin finally decides he's going to have his last moment of not being a douche, and he goes to uh, Samuel L. Jackson, Jedi, uh, Mace, Mace Windu. Yep. He goes to Samuel L. Jackson, and he says... That's all you need to know. It is all you need to know. And he says, like, uh, hey, um, that guy is going to, like, kill everybody. He's evil. And Samuel L. Jackson's like, well, we've got to hurry. And then they turn and slowly keep walking and chatting, because... (laughs) There's nowhere for them to run. They're not on a set. They can't run anywhere. Now that you mention that, the new trailers for Star Wars are really emphasizing camera dolly movements. Yeah. There's lots of pushing in, pulling sideways, like things you could not easily do unless you had a Peter Jackson level warehouse (laughs) for, you know, your Battle of the Five Armies. But yeah. And even if you look at, because I've watched that behind the scenes stuff a lot. Um, but if you look, a lot of his green screens are used in place of like matte paintings, but the environment that they're physically walking and climbing on is real. And I mean, yes, it's built in a giant warehouse and it costs a fortune, but it was important to him that when they climb on a rock, they're actually climbing on a rock. They're not pantomiming climbing on a rock. When I've seen that, even in like shows you wouldn't think would have CG, it's like a romantic comedy and they're like on the streets of New York. Often they'll still set up a, a green wall, you know, yeah. for the background so that they can have whatever traffic pattern they want going on back there. Or, right. oh, we don't want any giant ocean liners coming through the the Yeah, the, the beach bay. scene. Yeah. yeah. Which, I mean, that the reason I think that's okay is, one, it's not the focus of the scene, and two, nobody's interacting with it. 
So if it has like a tiny bit of a static fake feeling, the actors aren't constantly reminding you that it's fake. That's the thing. Like, have you noticed that? No, you didn't notice it. Yeah, exactly right. (laughs) And it actually probably made the film better and less distracting. Yeah. Yeah, because there isn't like a shipping tanker going through the back of this period piece in the 1800s. (laughs) But yeah, I, uh, I, I saw, and I'll, I'll try and find this and link to it in the show notes, but um, before they did the big reveal, like, oh, BB-8 is real, um, apparently someone else had figured out, like, oh, you could do that with, like, rollers and this counterbalancing mechanism. These and, kind of magnets. And somebody just built one. So, I mean, I'm sure it doesn't have all of the bells and whistles and stuff, but I'm, I'll find it and throw it up in the show notes. But somebody, did, like, that's how easy this physical effect was, is somebody was like, oh, I'll just do that. I'll make yeah. one. And maybe it's easy to say after you've seen it, because if you didn't see the droid, you might not have easily figured out how to make one of those. Sure. um, I think it is going to be a toy you can control with your smartphone. Oh, God, I hope so. I'm pretty (laughs) sure that's actually going to be a thing you can buy. Yeah, no, because there's always been the long joke about like, you know, oh, it's a Star Wars movie. It's basically a 90-minute ad for toys, but I want one of those. Like, that's... (laughs) I don't need a Luke Skywalker action figure. Sorry, Luke, yeah. but I would like a little RC droid that I can like drive around. That'd be cool. <laughs> okay, you didn't say like sorry, Mark Hamill, but sorry, Luke. Well, yeah, <laughs> like he exists. Well, I think Mark Hamill is over Luke Actually, Skywalker. It was Luke a long Skywalker time ago. is not. Uh, <laughs> the groans. Um, I, I want a Roomba. That's the little black like Death Star mousy droid that just rolls on the ground. What, it, Why like, does that not exist? Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe I never put that together. I mean, the only other times I've, you know, I'm thinking of the first Dark Forces game, you, you destroy those, you shoot them. Or I, just in the movie when it rolls up and sees Chewbacca and it's just like, yeah. Yeah. JK, run away. Yeah. I don't, now I'm thinking, how much am I willing to spend on this remote control BB 8? <laughs> Because I feel like a remote control, all the money. A remote control R two D two would be cute, but not really that fun. Kind of like, where do I put this thing? Yeah, but a remote control BB eight, you would actually like enjoy driving around. Like, take it to a big field with like low cut grass, like a soccer field or baseball diamond, and just like, like. <laughs> dangerous. Someone's gonna kick it. Yeah, probably. Well, maybe not to a soccer field. <laughs> My droid. That may be. I mean, I, I already see new sports like some what they call asymmetrical multiplayer. Like <laughs> someone controls the soccer droid. Right. And then everyone else has to chase it down. Like the, I don't know. I'm just, no, I mean, I, okay. So this is a lot of Harry Potter in one episode, but <laughs> I'm cool with it. But I mean, that's basically all the balls in Quidditch. All the balls in Quidditch are magical and have a, you know, mind of their own, so to speak. And the, uh, the snitch in particular actually doesn't want to be caught because like the, oh, now I feel, but Susan's going to get mad at me because I can't remember what they're called. But the, the ball that the beater hits with their bat, which looks a lot like a a cricket bat, um, that ball wants to hit you. So you don't have to chase it. You have to avoid it giving you a concussion and knocking you hundreds of feet to the ground off your broom. But the snitch actively does not want to be caught because that's how you win the game or end the game. So, I think like not only is there a market for this, but I think if you packaged it the right way, you could basically get people who aren't normally into sports into sports. Like if you made a little remote control one, like a little quadcopter ball and you called it a snitch, 
nerds would line up to buy that that are Harry Potter yeah. nerds. And then if you had a bigger one and you called it the like BB-8 soccer, football, whatever, like different nerds would line up to buy yeah. that and play that sport. Man, I'm just all of a sudden so excited about Internet of Things gaming in the real world. Yeah. Well, I think I, wouldn't you say everybody pretty much agrees in one way or another that's where we're going is this like unification of the internet and physical space because i still get really tired when someone's like oh well that's online that everything's different online i'm like why would you would you have treated that person that way on a phone call or in a handwritten letter then why is the internet different if you wouldn't send them a fax that calls them all those dirty words then don't send it to them (laughs) on twitter uh, we do have one other George Lucas Star Wars related topic that I figure we should just group with uh, yeah. destroyed. I say go for and it. And this this is just fun, um, funny news. So George Lucas wanted to build studios in his neighborhood in, in California where a bunch of other rich people live. And uh, he got blocked by his neighbors. They wouldn't let him build this. And so... Well, because he, he was petitioning the city... It was his land, but he yeah. had to get building permits to do it right, and, right. and work with the city. So it was a big, complicated political mess. And he was basically blocked by his neighbors. So he's like, okay, I can't make studios. How about affordable housing? Yeah. And then remember the kind of neighborhood George Lucas would live in, surrounded by other multimillionaires. So they're thinking like property values. I don't want riffraff in my neighborhood. The rabble. And so they blocked that. And so now he's just financing it himself. Yeah. Which I'm sure, I'm pretty sure it's pretty easy to get the permits to build affordable housing on your own land it's not with like, your own money. Yeah. It's not like crazy commercial property where like you need different kinds of right. tape to get through. Yeah. Cause presumably land he lives on is yeah. already zoned for residential. Yeah. And so this is like a nice charitable, vengeful way to show your middle finger to your neighbors who stopped you from doing what you wanted to do while still helping other people. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, I I don't really know much about George Lucas as a person other than through the lens of how he changed as a filmmaker over the years. So, I mean, I've given him a tremendous amount of crap, and I stand by that. I mean, I don't like what he did with some of his film properties, and that bums me out, but... In this article where he talks about um, like why he's doing this and and how he's going to do this, he says like, yeah, people have been saying that this is like vindictive and that I'm trying to do this to spite people. And I'm I'm just really surprised that people would view it that way like this. I'm trying to be helpful. And, you know, the second he turns away from the camera, he's like, because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, th- this is like. If you're in his position, like, why would you not do this? It's like, I get to do something that makes me genuinely a good person and gets back at people who tried to stop me from being a good person before. Yeah, of course I'm going to do this. Like, there's no reason not to. I just love how it, it it's one of those amazing political moves is like, yeah, you're going to oppose me on this and receive all this shit from the press and the public opinion yeah. on you. Yep. Like, go ahead and argue against affordable housing. Yeah. And and I have to, I just want to make sure it's clear because I don't, I don't remember if you said it exactly. So he wanted to build studios and they sh- the, his his neighbors shut that down because they didn't want the noise and the traffic and all this other pros, uh, problems going on. Then he said, well, what if we use this land for housing? The city can build housing there and then that'll be good. And then they shot that down. And then he said, 
okay, I'm just going to build houses and there's not a damn thing you can do to stop me because I own the land and I have the money to finance it. So he tried to do something for his business and they shut him down. So that's, you know, you can make an argument either way. Then he tried to do some, he suggested people do the good thing yeah, and then they shut him down and then he came in with the vindictive, like, I'll just build them myself. Yeah. So it's, he didn't go directly to, I'll just finance, you know, a, I'll be a slumlord. Like, and, and these are, um, remember the part of California that this is in, these are not going to be crappy houses. No, his phrase was, we have enough millionaires here. <laughs> right. But I mean, even the kind of houses they're looking to build, I think they said, uh, one of the ideas they're tossing around is you would have to make 80% of the median income for that area. The median income for that area is $90,000. Yeah. So even 80% of that, you're talking what over like between 60 and 70. Yeah, sure. Sure. So, but I mean, you're not talking about poor people, welfare Queens, whatever kind of negative stereotype you want to have. Like these will be perfectly normal middle-class everyday Americans. Yeah. Not super rich, not super poor. The bulk of Americans fit within this range. Um, so it's, it does not score you points with the public to fight this and, and people are going to fight it. They're totally going to fight it. So what do you think? You think it's actually going to go ahead? I'm sure there's lots of legal maneuvers that they could use to stop him. Well, I mean, unless they, they find a way to stop him, he seems pretty committed to it. He, and he's also like some other of our, our better rich people in the world has, (laughs) has pledged, uh, half his fortune will be donated. Yeah. Did, uh, I think Warren Buffett and Bill Gates started that. Yeah. The, like billionaires give away your money mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, Tim Cook's doing it. Um, I'm sure. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I don't keep track of this. But <laughs> you don't have a list in your wallet. There's there's the good billionaires and there's the ones staying quiet and hoping no one calls them out for not doing it. Yeah, yeah. It's tough because I mean it, I'm sure if I had all this money, there'd be part of me that was like, well, I earned this money. It's my money, but. I like to believe that just like these people who are setting a good example that I would get there and I would be like, what the hell am I going to do with all this money? Yeah. Like, I might as well do something good. And especially like Bill Gates has made it very clear that he wants to leave a legacy and he doesn't want that legacy to be Microsoft. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Like he has, now that he has all this money and all this power, he wants to do way bigger things that yeah. will outlast him and his company and the companies that spin off from his company, except Steam. <laughs> Steam's going places. Indeed. So we got some other topics. You want to you pick our next one? Yeah. So I want to talk about the button. And the more I've thought about this, the more I've realized that this is abstract and difficult to describe. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make an, an effort here. So on April Fool's Day, Reddit, um, well known for being a, a perfectly calm and reasonable place to have discourse, they added uh, a subreddit r slash the button and there's a button and a counter and if you press the button the counter resets it's a 60 second counter nobody knows what happens if the counter gets all the way down to zero because you cannot put a button like we discussed at the top (laughs) of the show out in front of tens of millions of people and have them not push it here's the thing they didn't explain what the button does. They didn't explain what happens when it hits zero. There's no context, no explanation, or anything of any kind. But there are little clues you find out after interacting with it. So if you press the button between uh, 50 and 60 seconds on the counter, you get permanent purple flare attached to your account. 
So now anything you post in r slash the button is going to have this purple flare, which means everyone else knows not only that you pushed it, but when you pushed it. (laughs) And then each 10 second block all the way down to, I think, 30 seconds has a different color. And I think it's the the RGBiv order, um, you know, like rainbow order, I think. Um, But no one has been able to get it below, I think, 30 seconds. It might be 20, but I'm pretty sure it's 30. So we're guessing people just aren't willing to wait. No. And this is the thing is you have this amazing social experiment going on. And and I I linked to this Vox article in the show notes, but nobody knows what happens. So you have the button still on Reddit. Oh, yes. Where R slash the button. Oh, okay. Yeah. So nobody knows what happens when it gets all the way down to zero. And then on top of it, you have people who are intentionally trolling. So they're creating fake accounts waiting for the number to get low you know close. So i just went to it <laughs> and it's counting down did you click it no okay oh so this is another thing there's now this weird class warfare happening between people who are button pressers and people who are non-pressers because if you haven't yet pressed the button you have flair that says non-presser and it's gray so there's <laughs> there's this like and like nobody knows what the point of this is like is this are they trying to prove something is it just for for the lulls like there's no information currently known oh, about this. So the button counted down past 30 seconds, but then it reset. Somebody clicked it. Oh, it's it's a shared button. Yes. Oh. Th- this is exactly the problem, is you cannot wait for it to get to zero because if somebody else clicks it, it goes back up to 60. Here's the thing. <laughs> if you say you, you were hovering over the mouse just now and you were like, oh, it's under 30, and right before you click, somebody else clicked it, now it looks like you clicked it 60 seconds. You get purple flare. Oh, so that sucks. Yeah. So, oh, it's 25. <laughs> this is just getting people to sit on this page and watch it. Pretty much. Down to 20, 19. Oh, I got clicked. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I'm, this is really riveting for yeah. podcast content. No, to but this describe this. This is interesting because even when I added this just a few days ago to the show notes, I don't think it had gone under thirty seconds. And now you just saw one under yeah. twenty. And there's a the second to highest post is seventeen. Damn, it feels good to be a gangster. <laughs> <laughs> and what color is that person? Orange. Orange. So presumably the under ten seconds would be red. Yeah. And then those people so will reverse be like, Roy B- G Biv. I don't think the order matters. <laughs> starts on the violet side yes exactly but this is uh i don't know what do you think like do you just think this is totally stupid i mean you look enamored like you're just staring at the counter sort of like a some it's in the same genre as the prisoner's dilemma Mm -hmm. because you're you're interacting with something with someone else and you don't know what they're gonna do and and, and, then the madness of it influencing your behavior of like what is that other person gonna do in this case, what is everyone else going to do? Yeah, it's a prisoner dilemma of everyone on the internet. <laughs> it's like was a prisoner. Monty Hall problem, prisoner dilemma. Oh, now I'm watching it. It's going. Oh man! <laughs> but I mean, this, it, my first question is: Do you foresee yourself eventually pushing the button, <laughs> or are you a non-presser? I I don't know. I never thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know, man. You can't just put me on the spot like that. Well, you just described it to me like yesterday or the other day, and. Now I finally get it, and it hasn't gone before below thirty in the past two minutes. Yep, but. I I haven't pressed it yet. <laughs> I know that in this Vox article they get so into the weeds that they actually tell you the time of day that <laughs> when it counts down most often. Yes, because at like I think it's 
two to four. And no one has seen it go to zero? That's recorded in any yeah, way? Not, not as far as I know. I, part of me hopes it's just something incredibly, tr- like nothing happens. Yeah. This is one of those things that will be a, a milestone in your life to make you feel old later. Like Yeah, like, you know, I, I remember the button. <laughs> <laughs> like like uh, Pog or... <laughs> Ooh, Pogs. I love Pogs. <laughs> or Beanie Babies or... Did not love Beanie Tickle Babies. Tickle Me Elmo. Or that. <laughs> One of those, one of those fads. Except I don't, I don't see this ending up on the Today Show. But no, this is too. But I think this is one of those fads that, like, like when I talk to someone who played D anD D as a kid, that's like immediate bond, right? Yeah. Like, even if neither of us play anymore because we're you know we got jobs and kids and whatever. But I'm like, oh, you played D anD D as a teenager, okay? <laughs> but and this is more in that genre. Like, oh, you remember the button. Okay, so that means that in the <laughs> mid two thousands, you were probably in like your you know teens to thirties. You were on Reddit, like that. Suddenly gives you a lot of information about a person. I haven't seen it get below forty since I brought the tab up. And there's like all these like reminder and like the instructions on how the button works. Ah, uh, somebody got it right at forty. Coward, <laughs> cowards. <laughs> All right, but that's the button. I just I find this this kind of stuff fascinating because it's it, it incites a lot of really deep thought and has absolutely no consequence. So like you there's no fear of getting it wrong, right? On the uh, the announcement post comment section, the first comment or the top comment is, "But if I push the button, will Reddit send me laundry detergent from Amazon?" <laughs> <laughs> so full circle on that. Seriously, they what they should do is put five dollars into your savings account. Come on, Reddit. Yeah. Um. So also tell me about this Google Cell Carrier info that got leaked. So this is we talked about this before, but basically Google is. Uh, almost definitely going to do an MVNO, which means they're going to provide cell service by reselling other people's cell service. And some uh, a factory image with all these apps in it got leaked. And if you are uh, crazy, um, like the lovely people at Android Police, you can rip the code open and find all these little like hints and clues as to how the thing's going to work. So before I say anything else, let me say the way they actually did this was by reading strings in the code. And like, this is my hats off to anyone who puts in this kind of time instead of just waiting for the thing to be announced. Like this is legitimate tech journalism. This isn't just like, you know, oh, we heard this rumor from a guy whose friend's cousin works at Google. Like this is, you know, a group of people who went into the weeds to actually find out as much as they could themselves. So that's just seriously impressive to me. Um, That being said, even they said like, yeah, this is still a rumor. Six out of 10 on the confidence level. (laughs) They don't want to say like, it's definite. And then their site loses credibility. Even if it's accurate information, they may change their plans. They may do something different. Absolutely. So here's some of the things we now know based on the, this leaked information. Um, account management will be done completely on the device. Good. So you'll never call anyone or do any BS like that. No stores to go into. Um, the billing is going to work basically the way Ting works. Ting is also an MVNO, so that's not surprising. But what's significant is there's no overages, there's no underages. So <laughs> you get billed for exactly what you used. If you prepaid for 10 gigs and you only use five gigs, then you get money back. 
if you prepaid for 10 and you use up to 15, it just moves you, excuse me, it just moves you into that next tier. So you always know what you're going to be paying, you know, exactly. It's not like, oh, well, after 500 minutes, every minute costs a buck 50. There's none of that crap. Yeah. Um, supposedly, uh, calls and texts in the United States are going to be free. Um, just kind of like with voice and hangouts right now. Um, which to me, that one's kind of like, eh, cause I don't really do that much calling and texting. Like I only really care about what I'm paying for data. Um, but that, I mean, that's good, I guess. Um, switching physical devices is supposedly going to be a software setting. And this, the example they had for this, I thought was kind of interesting. So you have your old phone laying around and you have your current phone that you like and you use every day, but you're going to go like hiking or skiing and you want to carry a phone, but you don't want to break your nice phone. So supposedly you're going to be able to just go into the settings and say, now send phone calls to this other phone. You don't have to switch SIM cards. You don't have to do anything. You just tell it like, this is now the device that yeah. should ring. Okay, now that's the device that should ring. So that I think, is, I mean, I don't really have a big problem with SIM cards, but I kind of like the idea of just doing it all in software. When I, I remember at, at one of the points when Google commented on this, this initiative, they, they were saying, like, we're not trying to become Verizon. Right. We just want a space to kind of push innovation in phones, in, in mobile service. Right. And so even if... You know, they they do some of the stuff that may be kind of like disruptive. They're really, I think, their goal is to get AT and T and Verizon and all the other carriers to adopt like the the good ideas that come out of this. Right, exactly. Like how Google Fiber is forcing <laughs> the network providers to actually make their network not suck. Yeah, and, and so yeah, it's like we'll 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 try. This will be a nice playground to try a bunch of new, innovative, totally you would never try this Verizon. Right. And then once you see us do it well, and it becomes to the point where people want to leave you for this, you'll you'll add it. Right. Which is, I mean, T-Mobile's been doing a lot of this too, just like breaking, you know, no contracts, just pay for your phone. Like, yeah, um, no, they're they're doing a lot because they're in Google's position where they're like, we don't have a lot of market share. In Google's case, no market share. So let's try crazy stuff. Worst yeah. case, we still fail. You know. Yeah. Um, so the the only two other things that I thought were interesting was uh, there's pretty much all but confirmation that you're going to be able to do live network switching between Sprint and T-Mobile, which is a big deal because between those two networks, you probably have a damn lot of coverage. Um, so that, that rumor has been around for a while. I, I hope that turns out to be true. Um, but this last one is, you know, Google, no matter what they say, no matter what they do, their business is data mining. Because everything they do is driven by the data they have. If they come out with a new thing, it's to collect more data. you know, And that's just how their business functions. And I mean, I'm fine with that, so whatever. But you'll actually be able to opt out of additional data mining that they would be able to do by you using their cell service. So there's additional stuff they'd be able to get from you that they can't get if you just have an Android phone. But you'll be able to opt out of that. Keep in mind... Verizon and AT&T are doing data mining on everything you do on your phone. And 100%. In yeah. fact, Verizon finally added an opt-out to that. They had a globally unique ID for you, even if you're, the higher levels of your software, your Android or iOS, wasn't tracking you. They had an ID attached to you for with all your web traffic. Yep. And they were... People were calling them out on it, and they finally released a press release of like, we love the privacy of our customers, <laughs> and we're always trying to innovate in providing top-tier privacy options. And so now that we've been flo- flogged in public, 
we we added a button obscure on our website that no one will ever visit to opt out of this. Yep. So that's and I mean, there's what was it called a carrier IQ or whatever it was called. There was that sounds right. Um, yeah. Just other ways our mobile devices has been tracking us for marketing and, and data mining reasons. Um, usually without any sort of formal consent. Well, yeah, it's probably it's buried, buried in, in the terms of service. And this, but informed <laughs> consent is a concept, right? That is actually has some cloud in court, and so. Well, my biggest complaint with this has always been not that I'm being tracked, but that the benefit they claim they're getting out of tracking me is never realized. Why do all the ads I'm served suck? If you mm-hmm. know everything about me and you know what my interests are and you know my demographics and stuff, then why do all the ads I get still suck? Yeah. Like if you're collecting all this information for the explicit purpose of serving me ads, why do the ads suck? The thing that has been bothering me lately is why can't you distinguish between thing I happened to mention once and thing I'm obviously very interested in and always talk about? Because, yeah. you know, I'll mention a product in a joke tweet oh, I guess I'm getting ads for this for the next month from every company that's related to this space. Yep. But thing I talk about constantly, nothing crickets. Well, and Amazon gets harangued for this rightfully so all the time. You buy something, and then for two months you see ads for that thing. You're like, I already bought the thing. And if it's something like a mattress or a chair that I'm probably not going to just continually buy, (laughs) the the ad is falling on deaf eyes. Like... (laughs) It is not serving any purpose to Amazon or to me or to the company that I'm being advertised to. Like it's a complete waste. What they could do if they're going to, you know, if I buy like a mattress on Amazon or whatever is then recommend sheets or pillows or bed frames, related products. And I mean, the thing is like, I don't think ads are going away. So I actually have a lot of interest in ads becoming better. So if you're going to continue to advertise crap to me, which I know they are, at least make them useful, maybe? Yeah. Thought? And the direction to go is not the Hulu direction of choose the ad experience that suits you. I don't want to have to... Yeah, nope. I'm not going to make me click. proactively choose the ads I'm going to watch. Although I will give them uh, a very tiny nudge. I don't think I've ever seen that uh, off of a computer. So, like, I have Hulu uh, set up on my PlayStation, and, I mean, you could pick up the controller and, like, you know, D-pad over, but I, I don't think they do that. It's still unacceptable on a computer, but it's the least unacceptable interface. <laughs> Which brand would you like to interact with? <laughs> uh, and I've noticed more and more companies are talking about, like, winks to the audience are making fun of that. Like, a lot, I think uh, Heineken did it where it comes up, or no, it was... Uh, uh, Capital One's credit card, I think, it comes up like a Hulu ad, and it's like, which brand experience do you want? Just kidding, this is an ad for Capital One. <laughs> and it's like, but it makes you take notice, right? Yeah. Like, I'm probably wrong about the brand, which means it wasn't a very good ad, but I do have to it give, did make me take notice. Give props to Capital One for trying really hard with their advertising. Yeah. And have you noticed the Geico ads lately? Particularly on Hulu. No. They So, um, also YouTube has actually been doing them a lot, but it's like, Someone will say, like, savings, and then the logo comes up, and the voiceover says, like, you can't skip this ad because it's already over. 
Yeah, and just, actually, I have seen one of those. Yeah, and I because on YouTube, everybody always wants to skip the ad, and so they're it's the little wink to the audience, like, "Hey, thanks for putting up with 15 seconds of this before yeah. we, you know, take you to your actual thing, <laughs> the thing you actually care about." Yeah, my canonical example of bad sort of smart advertising is that I bought tickets to see Sufjan Stevens this past weekend and immediately the rest of my internet life was <laughs> buy tickets to Sufjan Stevens. He's on tour. Did you know? Yeah, I know. Yep. I bought tickets. Yeah. And you know that I bought <laughs> tickets. And that's a, with the Amazon and it's ads. it's not like food where I'm like going to buy more tomorrow. I bought the right. only tickets I'm going to buy. With the Amazon ads in particular, I think I find it so frustrating because you see a slight increase in ads for a thing if you look at that thing, but you see orders of magnitude increase if you buy the thing. And it's like, you're not, I, I don't know, am, are we just weird consumers? <laughs> Do people buy a thing on Amazon, then see an ad for the thing they just bought, and then be like, I would like another? Like may, Maybe it's us. Maybe, I don't know. I'll have what I'm having. <laughs> <laughs> so do you want to, can, can you tell me about the net neutrality nonsense again uh yeah so net neutrality the the official recommendations and direction from uh the fcc came out weeks ago where they officially decided to classify broadband internet and to a large degree mobile as title two as as a infrastructure that can be regulated as you know kind of like our telephones have been and and other telecommunications and this was great because this needed to happen. And yeah, it doesn't solve every problem in the world. I don't want to open up the can of worms of all the <laughs> things it doesn't fix. Um, I would love price unbundling, but that's not really what net neutrality is about. It's a separate issue. Right. Um, well, the official rule, so they, they announced their decision in kind of broad strokes of what they were trying to do. But um, Title II is a huge set of regulations that was created for another era, for another set of technologies. And so part of the process of applying it to a new area is you have to go through forbearance and decide which of these rules are we actually going to enforce and which are we not enforcing. And so it's like, yeah, there's this big scattershot of rules with Title II, and some of them don't make sense to apply to the Internet. And so the FCC has has had to go through this process of forbearance to decide and the, the big news is that they were released their final rules and within minutes they were sued yeah so <laughs> i want to be clear that was a good explanation i want to be clear uh the document is 400 pages long uh a suit was filed several minutes after this document was released entire minutes entire minutes so they obviously, I mean, this was like r slash the button. Like, they were just waiting. <laughs> the second the document was released, they would press the sue, you know, the FCC button <laughs> and didn't wait to actually, like, read. And, I mean, granted, they would have sued no matter what it said because that's just how business is conducted, apparently. Yeah, let's at least delay or slow down this the change that we want to manage. Exactly. Um, so, I mean, I'm not surprised at, in, at all that they sued. It's just if I was a judge – Part of me, I mean, maybe seems they, legit. Yeah, maybe, maybe they got advance notice. I don't think they did. I think that's against the rules, right? So, so, but I'm just saying, maybe they got advance notice. But assuming that they didn't, if I was a judge, I would be like, "You filed a suit before you could have possibly read this document, so this, suit, this suit is dismissed. You can file another suit. This suit's dismissed." And I would wait for them to get to court, and like let the whole thing get set up, and be like, 
I'm throwing this case out. And this is why I'll never be a judge. <laughs> I mean, this, you just as things are right now, with all the support that there's been in the public and the FCC is generally in support of this, do you think there's any chance of this getting overturned? This is what blows my mind is that part of the argument from maybe this is just the PR argument, but it blows my mind is the 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 Comcast of the world, the, these these inve- uh, entrenched interests. Uh, they they're making the argument that the people didn't want this, and I'm like, you mean the millions of people that flooded their comment section? Yeah, those very not people. Um, I I can't offer a legal opinion, but. It, I think the whole point of going Title II is this is in the FCC's wheelhouse. This is in what they were set up to do by Congress. And so unless Congress decides to legislate something different about the FCC's role, I think this is more solid ground for them to do this. That's the whole point of it. I certainly hope so. And I I don't know what the if there's any kind of legal precedent – for overturning this because i mean that's it's weird that our country is now old enough that almost all rulings are based on old rulings it's like what were those rulings based on <laughs> i mean if, you know this is just rulings all the way down like <laughs> yeah. how does this work but um again why i'm not a judge or a lawyer but i uh i really think this has a big enough critical mass of government and individual you know citizen support that this may delay it. I hope it doesn't even do that because then that even it's like, oh, well, it was a justified enough case that it was worth delaying making the, the ruling into a law. Like even that is a scary Well, precedent. I bet it's already changing behavior or preventing the impending bad behavior of the carriers and the, the, the cable companies because they don't want to be seen as embodying the behavior this is intended to prevent. They 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 want to make the argument oh, we right. are good guys we are innovating this is this is making it harder for us to innovate and we're the good guys we're pushing ahead on speeds and taking credit for smartphones that we didn't create and yeah and they actually did that <laughs> they actually said like in a world with Title II you won't get an iPhone and it's like yeah Apple made that it has yeah you nothing have nothing <laughs> you couldn't have less to do with that. <laughs> In fact, in I think the case of everyone except AT&T, they came second. So for Verizon specifically to be like, oh, you wouldn't have this. It's like, well, we have AT&T. So, I mean, not that I like AT&T, but I mean, come on. They are the T-1000 reassembled. <laughs> it's absolutely true. <sighs> so, yeah, they sued within minutes, and it's kind of ridiculous. I'm, just, I'm so... I, I'm so looking forward to the day when... We're like, you remember when network neutrality was like up for debate? That was weird, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, it, it's it, it's an interesting topic, and and I really do love discussing it. But I'm getting like being on the right side of history fatigue. Like, I'm tired of saying like, "Hey, um, stop hitting yourself," and and these people are just bashing their heads in with hammers and like, "But it hurts so much." I'm like, "I know, stop. <laughs> like, I know it hurts. You, you should stop. I can't make you yeah. stop. You really ought to stop." And we we don't have time to add another topic to this episode, <laughs> but Facebook's actually been embroiled in some net neutrality discussions in India because they're they're. This may be an unfair characterization, but I think India is kind of seeing them as the guy with the white van offering candy because they're going into India and saying, we'll give you free internet. Oh. Free Facebook internet through Facebook. 
which well, well that's a teaser for next week yeah and that's a net neutrality I, concern yeah i had not heard well that's a lot like the free spotify on t-mobile which yeah. i loved and then realized i was a giant hypocrite for loving <laughs> so i mean this is the exact same kind of thing and that's why i'm like maybe it's a little bit shady to say it's the the creepy guy with a van offering candy to children but yeah it, it the underlying principle of uh, what would you call that? A honeypot or it, it's it's uh it's like the big tobacco, like hook them while they're young. Yeah, like we can't sell cigarettes to fourteen year olds, but we can convince fourteen year olds that smoking is cool as hell. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's this with Facebook. I mean, you go to a part of the world that has no internet, but they know about the internet, or they have very little, and they but they know about the internet. They know Facebook's a big part of the internet, and you go to them and you say like, "Hey, you want to get onto some Facebook?" Like that's that's very big tobacco like that's you know hook them and then they'll think the internet is facebook aol same thing people think or thought you know the internet was AOL. (laughs) you just past tense them (laughs) i'm hoping that people have learned the truth but i mean there was a time when the internet was aol or people thought it was and i mean hopefully unlike big tobacco facebook doesn't cause cancer but (laughs) you still don't want a future where a corporation controls information flow yes two citizens agreed <laughs> all right well i think i think that's enough <laughs> i think that is that'll do pig so i can carry us out here so be sure to check out the show notes for this episode at sunriserobot.net slash flipping tables slash 63 we'll have links to all these button things and and nintendo things and all the google things, things. all the things uh, we love feedback we love interacting with our brand with our audience <laughs> with with anything we will interact with anything if you have a button to press we will press the button um, <laughs> the best way to interact with us is on twitter you can tweet with me i'm mike edwards my twitter account is medwards music and i am at lines and beta or lines and beta.com i actually did the land grab on mine yeah you're you you're lucky Somehow, Michael is an abandoned Twitter account that cannot be contacted, that isn't active and hasn't tweeted in years, and Twitter has no reclaiming policy unless you have a trademark claim. So again, I've mentioned this before, I probably just need to create a Michael trademark yeah, for and, a business and, grab it that way. And, and actually grab it. Um, that would be wise. I'm just lazy. Um, <laughs> while you're at it, you're listening to this episode, uh, you should subscribe. I mean, you have a smartphone, you probably have a commute, or you travel sometimes. Wouldn't it be nice if you got new episodes every week automatically? You didn't have to think about it. You didn't have to wait for us to post it. You just, your phone had it. Well, that's called subscribing, and it's very easy. You just and need, awesome. And it's awesome, and, and awesome things are awesome. Um, so you just need a podcast app. If you have an iPhone, you already came with one, or you can download one called Overcast.fm. Or if you're on Android, you could use... Pocket Cast. Yeah. My favorite. And uh, then you just need to head to our website and tap the RSS button, and your phone will do the right thing and pop you over to the podcast app. And uh, you can subscribe. Or some podcast apps have a search engine. You can just type in Flipping Tables and probably find us. That's all awesome, and you should do that. Um, you can also support us directly. So if you're subscribing through iTunes, well, while you're there, you might as well leave us a rating and a review. Uh, we'd love that. And if you want to support us directly, um, y- you're looking sharp today, listener. You dress nice. You like being part of smart things and good things. 
Um, you're part of the intelligentsia. You're on the right side of history, and the right side of history is supporting us on Patreon. So head to Patreon.com/sunriserobot, and uh, if if you're so inclined, you can actually donate to us, and this helps us produce new shows. We got some ideas for some new podcasts, and um, if we can keep raising support, we will produce new shows in addition um, to keeping flipping tables going. We have gone 63 weeks in a row without missing an episode floods holidays kids being born all kinds of crap and while we're not promising we will never break (laughs) our streak because who knows what could happen um we have no intention of breaking the streak and the longer it goes the harder it is to to want to break it for a trivial reason but the more amazing our fall will be when (laughs) eventually one of us is too sick to record when that episode comes out we're like guys (laughs) We're sorry. Super sorry. But it is not this day. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, head to our Patreon if you want to support us directly. And depending on the level you support us at, we might actually say your name into a microphone and release it to the world. And so special thanks to our super rock star Patreon supporters, Bruce Edwards, Matt Mariner, and Sean Byrne. We love you guys. So much. All right. See you next week. See you next week.